Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Now, it's just possible that you may have heard that Wales is off to the World Cup. And as well as prompting a domestic conversation about who we think we are, uh, for the first time in the modern era, we are thinking about how we project ourselves onto this global stage. And joining us to discuss the potential opportunities and some of the challenges at home and abroad of such a high profile is Noel Mooney, Chief Executive of the Football Association of Wales, or should that be the Football Association of Cymru? Hello, Noel, how are you? Fantastic. Nice with that, Paul. Um, it's great to be with you. I'm here in the hotel with the team. And as you quite rightly say, it's really exciting for everyone here. It's a dream come true for many of the players here, of course, to play in a World Cup finals. Uh, for some of them, it's their finest moment, of course, to play in the, the biggest international tournament in the world and to have Cymru on that big stage. But it's not without its challenges, of course. So I have to say now we're starting to really focus. Uh, thankfully, now that the players are in on the football more and more. Uh, we've got three big matches, big cup finals for us coming up. And to get out of the group for us would be a really successful World Cup, hopefully one further than that. But our focus is very much on getting out of that group and then seeing uh, how we get on in the lottery after that. Now, you've been in post as chief exec for just over a year. It's probably, if not definitely, one of the most successful years in Welsh footballing history. How would you describe the experience? Um, it's been exhilarating in many ways because I mean, I've trained for many years you know, to be a leader of an association. And for me, when the opportunity came up, my brother and sister were both born in Wales. So I had a connection, obviously, to, to the country. But what I didn't anticipate was how quickly I'd fallen in love with the place and the people. It's just been a really nice experience to get to know everybody here. And then on top of that, I suppose, when you feel you can bring a lot of value to something, quickly I scanned the environment and I said, these have a lot of things that they can improve on. And that's what we've set about doing. So obviously we're lucky in that the men's national team are going through fantastic days. But that only tells one side of the story. There's a much deeper story in terms of grassroots, in terms of our high performance, in terms of the women and girls game, in terms of the disability game, walking football, all the new different parts of the game that are coming. So, you know, for me, within two months, we launched a strategy called Our Wales, I'm Cymru. And then a few months after that, we set about an enormous governance change, you know, 80 of them, in fact, to Welsh football, which were huge. Merging the trust with the FAW has been a huge process on its own, but there were 79 others that are currently being implemented. So what a lot of people can't see is the jockeying and the fighting and the debates and the discussion that goes on behind the scenes. But I've got to say, 13, 14 months into the job, I couldn't be happier with the direction of travel for Welsh football. I really couldn't. We're ahead of schedule in where we're going. But over the next five, six years, we're going to really strengthen up the game here to ensure that these halcyon days are not just you know period in much football we're going to go in cycles it won't always be you know win 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 all the time it can't be uh, especially when you have a population of our side you're going to go through cycles but it's how we manage um, the peaks and troughs and how we with this world cup for example what our big goal is to make the most out of it you know and i think if you look at our activation across the country you know, you'll see these giant bucket hats You'll see 250,000 kids in schools with a jamboree. You'll see, you know, thousands of schools doing football tournaments around it. You'll see Goyle Cymru, 250 venues across Cymru that will celebrate our heritage, our language, our music, uh, culture. That's not an accident, clearly. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes on in the background. I think if you look at our wonderful marketing communications team, look at Yamao Heed, the World Cup video which was um, took a lot of work, obviously, to put that together, actually. It doesn't look like it is, but it takes a lot of thought to put it together in a way that's right, I suppose, for public. And then if you look at um, the squad announcement where Rob Page went home to Tylerstown, obviously there's that joke about the Americans going to the uh, Empire State Building and um, you know, using the, that huge building they have and us going to the Welfare Hall in Tylerstown. For us, that felt like the most natural thing in the world to do. I mean, being from one of your Celtic cousins, a short swim away, our culture is the same. We don't, we like to keep everything humble. We like to be modest, you know, going to the Ronda, which I didn't know before I came here. I've got to know because I spent time up there with football clubs at the weekends and different things. There's a special attitude up there. There's a special way up there. And Rob Page epitomizes that with his attitude to the game, with his, you know, he's got a rugged side and he's got the, you know, the progressive side to him as well, of course, to be a manager who wants the World Cup, you need to be extremely bright and progressive. So I think all of them things combined, I couldn't be happy with where we are and where we're going. 
I couldn't be more excited about what we're going to do. And what I would say is that we're going to grow the FAWLR. We're going to grow area associations and our 950 clubs across the country to ensure that we get stronger, bigger, better, and that the game of football really reaches its full potential here. I mean, this is all stuff we're probably going to touch on uh, throughout the interview, Noel, but uh, I'm, I'm particularly interested, obviously, you say this, Celtic Cousins, know it being from, from Ireland, and you said you had family who were born here, but what was your perception of Wales, both culturally, football, in footballing terms, before you came to work for the FAW? It's a very interesting question because before I came here, I probably thought that there was more here in terms of big companies and tourism and different areas like that, to be honest, which I just thought it had been a bit more, I guess is the best way of putting it, I don't know. But what I was struck by when I got here was, I suppose, growing up in Ireland, there was more of a confidence of bringing international businesses in. And maybe it's just the way it's made up, the way things are set up here. It's different. But there was a feeling that, you know, tourism along the West Coast and all over Ireland at this stage is absolutely booming. Big companies like the Apples, the Googles, the Ebays, all of them are flocking to Ireland and have done for many years to set up companies that employ tens of thousands of people. And I suppose there was a sense that, and some people map this back to us qualifying for the Euros in 1988 and the World Cup in 1990, where we did really well as a country, that there was some confidence that came out of that. I don't know if that was the truth, but I do know, I remember them days very well. There were beautiful summers where Ireland got to major tournaments. Wales then had our chance in 2016 to experience that and, and some when they got to the semi-final of the Euros. And I suppose for me, because I'm Irish, clearly, it, I wasn't sure how much I'd connect with the national team and with everything here. I didn't know if it was that important, actually, because I think you've got to, you don't need to be a super fan to be good at something. You just need to be good at what you're doing, I think, is the most important thing and know what you're doing. But I connected with the team instantly. Our first matches were Finland away in a friendly, fair enough. But then we had Kazakhstan that we played in Russia and Garrett scored with the last kick of the ball. And I think I did my hamstring celebrating when he scored. And instantly I knew that I was connected, that, you know, it was, that was my team. And, you know, when you get to know the players and how close they are, I mean, literally I've just met them. They're just so close to each other. They're a group of brothers that love playing for Wales together. They love uh, wearing the dragon. They give everything they've got. They punch you off their way all of the time for the size of our population. So I suppose if you look at the view of the country, to go back to that again, I think I expected a little bit more confidence. I think I expected a little bit more, more development almost. But what I didn't realise was the complex relationships that exist and the complex, I suppose, historical build-up. So what I have been really happy with, I have to say, is the reception we've had from politicians, I would say, you know, the Welsh government, for example, have been really welcoming and we've made a lot of strides with them in building relationships to build up our own public affairs, actually, how we interact with government and the 22 local authorities. We spent a lot of time developing that. We're hiring a very talented head of public affairs at start of January, um, who's going to be a big step forward for us in terms of her background and what she's going to bring to us will be very important. So we've developed that relationship a lot, but I think with her coming in, we're going to go a long way. So company side is interesting because there's not a lot of really big, powerful companies here, you know, that are headquartered across the country. I mean, that, that was clear to me. You know, we're a very attractive brand to be with. If there was a lot of big companies across the country, we would have companies smacking down our door to be part of what we do. We have a bit of that, I have to say, brands see us, but it's just, I suppose, the size of what they spend. I mean, if I look at our commercial revenues, they're a long, long way behind England. And that's obvious because they've got a much bigger population. But we're playing them in a few weeks' time. We're supposed to match up against them on the field and a bit off the pitch. So it's difficult, you know, when our resources are far less. But we've got to not moan about that. That's important. We've got to find how do we reach the best we can do and be cleverer on and off the pitch than any other country so that we can continue punching above our weight, as I say, both on and off the pitch. I'm going to come in, Noel, now, and we could move into the direction of Irish corporation tax on some of those big businesses, but, but we're not going to. We're going to, but it is that kind of area because I think, um, you know, the terminology is about soft power and what governments can do to maximise that kind of like these type of opportunities. And I think Ireland has done that well. And I think it has been a lot of on the back of football. Ireland, for me, from the 80s onwards, was qualifying regularly. And, uh, and I think that this give a confidence to the country and the Irish nation has, has boomed really since. So 
this is a real opportunity on a global stage for Wales to to maximise its soft power. And Wales does that in other sports, but it's normally in the kind of traditional Commonwealth country. So this is the one which is on the global stage in Qatar. You know, what do you think we need to do to maximise this exposure? And are you working with other organisations to get that done? We know the First Minister's going out and we might mention that, but, you know, how are we going to maximise this kind of opportunity? It's a great point because there's going to be 5 billion people watching commonly over the next um, few weeks. It's the mummy and daddy of all tournaments, the Football World Cup. It's just enormous in terms of its scale. It's in every village, in every part of the world. You know, it's just everywhere. You know, we've got to maximise the opportunity. And I have to say that I've been very impressed by how Team Cymru has come together. I was on a call earlier today, which had the Arts Council. It had um, the airport, which is, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but Cardiff Airport looks quite spectacular, I have to say. I was up there the other day, I dropped my wife up there. It's just completely wrapped in World Cup. It's fantastic. But you had on that, for example, the UK government, uh, who are the ambassadors out in Qatar. You had the Welsh government, of course, leading uh, on the operation from our side, who've been fantastic around us. But then you have all these different organisations like the Earth, uh, BBC Cymru, ITV Cymru, S4C, of course, probably 20 organisations on the call plotting out how on and off the pitch we're going to make the most of it. So for us, we've got control of things like Goyle Cymru, which is the festival across 250 venues. And that was important to us because, you know, our supporters, the Iwagok is very much about fashion and music and language and all that kind of stuff. So we wanted to express ourselves through Goyle Cymru and some of the events we had, as we said, the squad announcement, the World Cup song, which was a bit different, uh, you know, how we could have approached it. So we tried to be seen marketing wise here. Domestic is one thing. But internationally, we've got the first minister coming out. We've got the economy minister coming out for the England game later. Have a huge amount of engagements, community engagements out there, government engagements out there with the US, for example, and with the UK Gov out there. But what I think is important to say is the FAW from when we qualified, I should say, earlier in the year, I should say, we joined the UEFA working group because we were playing in Qatar. Um, and that brought us into direct contact with the likes of the International Labour Organization. I was on a call the other day with the First Minister and the International TUC, for example, about migrant workers' rights, uh, Amnesty International, all of these different groups that were interfacing with the Qatar Supreme Committee, FIFA, of course, UEFA, were in direct dialogue with all them on the issues of the day. So we have a mix between how we get our brand out. I mean, Visit Wales have really bought into this and spent a lot of money marketing Cymru to the world and different things, videos, um, that have come out in the last few days, you may have seen, which is about welcoming people to the country in terms of tourism. So there's a big tourism campaign. There's a big trade push on, I would say, out there. And there's also a big lobbying campaign as well, because we want to bring major events here in the future. I mean, one of the events that's quite public that we would like to bid for is Euro 28, which takes us on to another level again. I mean, we've hosted the Champions League final in 2017 here, which is one thing, but none of, none of the teams were Welsh that were playing, and it was obviously two teams that come from the outside and play here, that's one thing. But this would mean, hopefully, um, that Cymru would be playing in our own city, in our own capital, to the world, in yours, which is another massive tournament. So I think we're building up nicely. I feel that we're going to capitalise fully on the opportunity. I'm really thankful to the way the First Minister has actually adopted this, along with the Economy Minister and the Deputy Sports Minister, along with other people, not just from the, in, the incumbent governments, but from other parties as well. We had a going away in the Senate, recently where the broadcasters put it together and you had cross-party attendance the support from all of the parties was absolutely fantastic so we feel that team companies come together we know it's the first time it's come together quite like this we know that and what we've got to do is once we've done this tournament and we did a debrief at the end of it to see what do we get out of it in terms of meetings to bring trade here or tourism whatever it is getting our brand out there to the world because not everybody's clear on the wales brand internationally you know, even though we're from here, we live here. I know from living in Europe for the last 10 years, not everyone is completely clear on the brand and what it means. I was delighted to hear at a meeting today that some people are arguing that we've taken New Zealand's place on the beauty map with some of the videos that came out over the last few days. That was a great comment. So we have everything to offer in this country. And it's not a platitude. It's not a cliche. I grew up in Ireland on the West Coast, which is a mecca for tourism. We have everything needed here to become a, a tourist boom. We've everything here, population, the universities, 
like I was in Cardiff University the other day at a breakfast talk with Laura McAllister and got to see the talent that's there. Swansea University, for example, some of the stuff they're doing in sport, USW, Cardiff Met, stunning the stuff that's happening here. So we've got a population coming through that can drive big business. So we have all the ingredients. I'm hoping the FAW, and I think it's fair to say that we've been pretty much to the forefront of the cultural evolution and the language used around the country. We can play an ever-increasing role in our place in the world. And certainly with the teams that are qualifying at this level, we've given us a platform to talk about and to communicate what our language, what come right means, what does living in Wales, to visiting Wales mean? So we feel very comfortable with the product we're bringing to the world. And I hope that at the end of the world, it'll be seen as a big success in the brand Wales to the world. I've got no doubts it, it will be, no. I congratulate you all on doing it. I, I had the privilege to take a, a trade mission on the back of a Wales football match in the early noughties to Italy, and it was really successful. And we did everything you just talked about there, the trade links, the tourism links, you know, the cultural links. There's huge opportunities here, so it's really good to see where that's going on. But, you know, I don't think we can wash over the difficulties the First Minister's got and will face on this. You know, Qatar has been a difficult choice for the footballing world to go to. And I think you mentioned a lot of the issues just then. What are you going to do as a football association to, to kind of look at how you highlight some of those difficult issues that Qatar is facing itself with when you're out there? Well, I think the important thing is we're not on our own. We're not a football association that is on our own in this thing. We've had brilliant support. As I mentioned earlier, from Welsh government who have a value statement and made statements and will make statements, about their position on going to Qatar. The FAW has made its own made its own points, as you know, in the matches leading up to this, we wore the One Love armband in solidarity with the LGBTQ plus uh, community, for example. The players have spoken about it in recent days. And do you know what? It's, it's one where, you know, the dialogue we've had on the UEFA Working Group has been really helpful to us. So we've seen the legislative development in Qatar. Legislative development is where they change the rules, obviously, and have done things with the Kafala law. It's easier for migrant workers to move jobs now, much easier than it used to be. There's lots of companies being brought to heel on the heat, working in the heat and all that because of 300 and something companies um, have been shut down um, because of um, flagrant abuse. Now. So they have definitely on the migrant workers as a step forward. We're waiting for some clarifications on the migrant centre, which I think is a really good idea. Uh, we, we all do which is obviously for migrants to go on to get information on how they can operate in the country. And also this compensation fund that's been discussed. So we're at the table discussing this. Now, if we weren't going there for World Cup, we wouldn't be at the table discussing this. You have to remember that. Uh, I think that's important to say. There seems to be like, and I understand that very well, the outrage about going there. I mean, from the decision of going there, when we first saw the name come out of the hat, we knew this was going to be an issue, the size of the country, um, you know, and lots of issues around the actual awards to Qatar, as we know, and that's after that. that that's water on the bridge now because, you know, we're going there. What I would say is we have to be culturally sensitive. When everybody seems to be kind of saying, you know, this is wrong and that's wrong, we don't get all that and we're with all that. And, you know, we want to make sure the migrant workers' rights are, you know, highlighted. We want to make sure that the struggles of the LGBTQ plus community there are highlighted. The only thing is, like I would say is that, you know, if I went on holidays there, you know, you'd have to be culturally sensitive to how a different culture is. Um, so we think it's a perfect platform to have this dialogue. I can see in the meetings that they're listening, they're clearly taking in um, the issues that are being highlighted. And we'll go back there again with the working group in January to see how it's all played out and continue to be in dialogue with them. I mean, they're telling us that they want to be a leader in the region when it comes to um, progress, you know, the progress of of issues like the um, the LGBTQ plus rights and migrant workers. So I think, you know, if this World Cup can use football to bring things forward, and that's a really good thing. I think it's a really good thing. Yes, we do have all uh, issues with, with some of with the cultural issues out there, uh, particularly with the LGBTQ plus uh, and the migrant workers, but we've used it as a platform for discussion and debate and the Welsh governments are really with us. We're really joined at the hip with them. Uh, in terms of how we're going to use this opportunity to dialogue and to hopefully make the world better as a result. I, I think that's great to hear, and it's exactly what I'm hoping that you and the, the team and other teams will do out there. It's kind of giving them that opportunity to, to progress in what we'd like to see. But 
you know, I, I don't think we can get away. And this is, you know, one of the last kind of more difficult questions, Noel, you'd be pleased to hear. But I don't think we can get away from the issue that Qatar is going to be an awkward World Cup in the history of World Cups for a variety of reasons. And, you know, you've got a background in football governance. And I'm just wondering whether you've got any thoughts on how the football governance sphere, you know, UEFA, FIFA can or is developing to, to ensure that, you know, this kind of difficult situation isn't going to happen in the future? Yeah, I mean, I was at UEFA for the last 10 years and I saw how they've got much, much stricter on the criteria for winning competitions. So um, you've got that balance, you see, because always if you are looking to bring a tournament somewhere, um, you're going to get the, I suppose, countries like ourselves um, or the Scandics, for example, you know, it's harder to sell things. I mean, if the Olympics come, for example, they want Olympic lanes and all of these different things, blue lighting and all that kind of stuff um, that you have to give to get the tournament. That's sometimes more difficult in our countries to get because it's it's just more difficult because there's so many different competing interests. Whereas you go to some of these countries, it's just they've got probably a flatter decision-making process, I suppose, where it's decided quite quickly as to what they need to do. Um, and we saw that with the last World Cup, for example, in Russia, with the Winter Olympics in Sochi, for example, we've seen it before, you know, in tournaments going to China and different places where they were able to make decisions very, very quickly. Um, so I think that with the FIFA's, UEFA's, and all of the different sports, by the way, they're having to look at the governance of the criteria they set to award competitions. And if you look at the competitions that are coming up, for example, you've got the Women's World Cup going to Australia and New Zealand, which I really welcome. I think that's a fantastic destination for fans, uh, even though it's a long way. Um, but if it's a great place for fans to go to see the Women's World Cup, we were unlucky not to get there ourselves. Uh, if you look at the next Men's World Cup, which of course we will be in, uh, that's in Canada, USA and Mexico, which I think is um, is a great one for, you know, when we get there, it'd be a brilliant one to get to. If you look at the Euros, for example, we're going to Germany in 2024, which is fantastic. So if you look at the competitions that are we're staring in the face, um, I think the next Women's Euros, you know, will be somewhere um, interesting here. Uh, and then the next Women's World Cup, I know that there's a bid coming from uh, Germany, Holland and Belgium together. So you're starting to see, and obviously we're bidding for your 28. So if all that comes to pass, then you're going to see a real movement towards countries that fulfill all the criteria one would hope in terms of human rights and different things, getting these competitions. And then you'll see countries that may actually, it might go the other way, or countries that want to bid for this stuff in the future because the criteria will be so strict, need to adjust their own uh, workings to be in a position to host the tournaments, which is quite interesting. So look, it's an evolution. I certainly don't have all the answers, I can tell you that for sure. But I do know it's an evolution of governance. What I would say as well about FIFA, it's a very changed organisation to the one that awarded the World Cup back in 2010. It's a very different organisation. Uh, Gianni Infantino has gone up there from UEFA, used to be our General Secretary at UEFA, very much with a mandate about FIFA for the world, making football truly global, but also cleaning up the governance behind that. And if you look at, um, I remember David Conn, the journalist coming into us at UEFA and showing us a picture of the council that awarded that decision to go to Qatar. I don't think a single one of them are left around this decision making. The stories that have come out since have been highlighted. And I've just started watching FIFA Uncovered uh, on Netflix. I saw the first episode the other night and honestly, my, my toes were curling. I was watching it. Uh, I didn't realize some of the stuff, even though I'd have known one or two of the characters, the Platinis and that, the Blatters, because I was at UEFA in the last 10 years, I wouldn't have known, you know, any of the stuff that I was saying. I didn't realize, for example, the Adidas uh, story about ISL. I wasn't actually aware that Horst Dassler had been involved in the set of ISL. So that was quite interesting for me to see how all that worked. Um, and I think it's a reminder. I mean, the game has exploded in terms of its influence. This podcast is, as you say, soft power. What I can say, I think it's quite clear, is that football is so powerful as a communications tool. You know, and we have to be mindful of that. We have to protect our sport. And I think that some of the decisions made in football over the last decade and, and beyond have not been good for the game. But I think there's an awakening. There's an awakening amongst decision makers that this couldn't go on. There's a change in the pulse of how people think. That's clearly happening. I can see it so clear. Uh, from being in UEFA and knowing the guys at FIFA, that I think football's had its scares now. And I think lessons have been learned. And I really hope that we're going the right way. And if you look, I mean, I'm Irish, as we mentioned earlier, our own association, I was sent there in the interim 
to rescue a desperate governance and bankruptcy situation. So I was sent in like Reddit Air uh, on the rescue bridge to, to drag that out of bankruptcy. I mean, to be frank. Um, so we've seen when governance goes wrong, the damage it can do. But the good news is <laughs> that I've seen so much governance over the last few years. I have so much uh, experience and education now in governance at this stage that um, we understand that an association has to have a risk appetite, by the way. It has to have a form of risk appetite. So it needs to take some opportunity, take chances to grow the game. You know, it has to capitalize on opportunities, but also mitigate risks. Uh, and I think when you see some of the decisions that we made about awarding events to certain parts of the world and certain things that happened in football, you know, they probably haven't taken into account fully the brand damage that, that has done to football over the years. I remember, you know, as a fan even, when that decision was made to go to, um, to Qatar, thinking, ooh, you know, when you get into a taxi and someone says, oh, I see the World Cup's going to Qatar, you know, how that would play out in someone's mind. And look, we're here now, days away from kicking off in Qatar, and I cannot say it has got any better since that day in terms of the perception of it going there. If anything, it's got worse. What I do hope is that the people of the Middle East, the Arabic culture, wonderful culture itself in, in, in ways, um, gets a chance. We're going to visit the Arabic museums and different things to see the history of the place. Uh, but I have to say, from the FAW's point of view, Jason Weber, who leads our Equality, Diversity, Inclusion, is on the actual working group with UEFA. I'm delighted he's been there because he's had a chance to see, you know, the good, bad, and ugly of culture over there, but also to learn things that work well out there as well, um, and and bring some ideas back to us. So, like we feel that um, we feel the dialogue has been really positive. We hope that this World Cup, in years to come, people will say that it has progressed the evolution of society in some ways. And I hope that that's the legacy. It's a hope at the moment. Um, and I really, really hope in, in, in time, um, by default even, that the decision to go there would have worked out to be a really good thing. So that was you know fascinating chat about the international context, but I'm going to bring it back home a little bit. And one of the interesting things to me about what the FAW has done in the last few years and has done incredibly well, it's, it's sort of been committed to the history of individual communities in Wales and of Welsh history all in. And whether that's recognising the disaster at Aberfan, Trawedin, from making the squad announcement in the Tylerstown Welfare Hall, how deep does this sense of social history go in the FAW and how important is it to you? Massive. It's right at front of mind. It's something that's discussed all of the time in the FAW about um, the history of the country, good, bad and ugly, you know, which every country has, by the way, celebrating our past, reflecting on us, burning the history of the country into the soul of people who may not have been as connected to it, including the players that we bring in who may not have grown up sometimes you know in the valleys or uh in in Cymru itself so making sure that they're aware of what they're playing for i mean even the signage here in the hotel the signage that the players see in their bedrooms and in the training ground and in the hotel in doha will remind them of who they're playing for and what they're playing for and the connection with welsh life i mean the tylerstown thing was great in many ways because it just represented our values perfectly Obviously, we brought the World Cup song last week. And I think, you know, the reaction we had to that, which was that we didn't shy away um, from the issues. Um, like there was celebratory moments in there, of course, you know, it's, with devolution, for example, there were celebratory moments with us scoring uh, to get us to a World Cup final and many very happy things. There was also moments of reflection, I suppose, the good, bad, and, and that's happened in the country. So every country is the same. I say, I'm not from here, but I'm from Ireland, which has its own history. Um, and it's important that we reflect, we're aware of it, um, because that makes us who we are. And like now we hope that there's a confidence sweeping through the country as we go out to the world stage, um, that we are a fantastic place and a fantastic people and have everything to offer the world. Uh, and we just can't speak loud enough about it. But to not reflect and just kind of go all shiny and glittery out front is probably not us. There is that thought about the things that have happened, like Aberfan, for example, is a very good example of, of you know, and even when you travel around the Rhonda, for example, you can't help, or I was up in Martha recently, you can't help, you know, be reminded about the industrial past uh, and the difficulties that was. That was a tough environment to work in uh, for the workers. And there was many things 
uh, you know, the trade union movement came out of here. You know, so to not know that and to not think about that is, is a mistake, we think. Uh, and we think that with the Welsh language as well, for example, which is clearly going through a renaissance um, itself, I'm trying my very best to learn Cymraeg. It's not easy, I can tell you. I'm flying through Duolingo. And when I get really frustrated, I swear this is actually what I do. I flick from the flag to the Irish flag to start doing some Irish to boost my own confidence because I can speak some Irish. So I get my confidence built up. Then I flick back to uh, Cymraeg and I'm okay. But I'm getting there. I can speak a few words. I can say sit the key and I can work through a few a few things now. I can sit down in the canteen and do a couple of minutes at least. So I'm getting there. The aim is that next summer when we get to the Estevods and we go to the Royal Welsh that we can do something with IG. Uh, in Cymraeg uh, and start to talk. I mean, people around where I live in Cardiff speak Cymraeg quite regularly. I mean, if you go to Chapter, for example, or the coffee there, people are speaking Cymraeg in there quite normally around you, which I think is absolutely fantastic. We've got an agreement now with the National Centre for Learning Welsh, which means I've got a tutor called Aaron. It's not Aaron Ramsey who can speak Cymraeg very well. It's a different Aaron, but he doesn't have blonde hair, by the way. He hasn't, he hasn't dyed anything. Um, so, yeah, it's a really exciting time for us. What's nice about, as I said, even though the organisation is 145 years old, we don't look at first of all, I hope. Um, but secondly, we feel more like a Spotify than an old institution. So my wife and I have been watching the startup of Spotify uh, on some other program at the moment, it's Netflix or something, uh, watching how, you know, when you see kids come together and think about what can we do today that's going to going to move us forward, it's going to make us, you know, um, a bit more special. That's how it feels at the FAA at the moment. And um, it feels that we're full of ideas, bright ideas, brilliant people. And I don't care if they're 20 or they're 60. They're coming up with brilliant ideas. I mean, I can sit for hours and talk to IG about new ideas. Uh, and IG is probably a little bit closer to 60 than 20 at this stage. But he's been a BBC journalist. He's um, he's very proud of the Cymraeg. He's our has been our head of comms for a good few years. But he's an inspiration to us in many different ideas that we have. But then there's a young team. There's people like Rob and Owain and Mel and a few more of them in communications who just keep knocking out with the ballpark. I mean, literally, you go in one day and it's Sage Todd's. The next day it's juice menace. The next day it's something else. The next day it's something else. It's like just a flow of ideas. And what we've got to do is just keep building upon that because um, people definitely have set, stood up and are sat up and taken notice that we have got a great story to tell every day. Next week, for example, we launch our media platform, which will be called Red Wall Plus. And that's going to have a whole bank of content new that will tell the story of the country and of ourselves and Welsh football and we'll start recording a lot more, we'll become much more like a media house ourselves, where we can bring content, really rich content to Welsh people all of the time on what's happening behind the scenes in Welsh football, you know, whether it's to do with our retro. Like even, for example, if you take Wrexham over the weekend, there was the Walgock Festival up there, which we supported, of course. And that had people like Adrian Childs there and the likes of Ian Rush and Neville Southall and Katie Owens and all these people up there talking about fan culture across Cymru. And that was a whole weekend of films and music and Gruff was up there for the Super Furry Animals and all this kind of stuff was going on. So we're starting to build up more and more of a vibe of a kind of cool Cymru. I know it's a, it's a cliche term, but we really are. And we feel that we're in the middle of it. Um, and we just I couldn't be more excited for how the future will pan out. I think everyone's looking forward to seeing how we keep evolving as an organisation we just need more and more people joining our Red Wall or Wall Gok because I think a lot of the kids nowadays are choosing football as their go-to sports. The interest in the sport is growing all the time. You know, I come myself from a marketing brand background, so I have a sense of what makes great brands. And I, it's a terrible term at times, brands. We're not even a brand, we're just a feeling. We're more a kind of sense of what we're doing. It's like a vibe or something. I don't even know how you describe us, but it's just a sense we know where we're going. We feel that we're on a good track. And a lot of people are with us on it. And the fans build more of it than we do, to be honest with you. We just listen to what people want to do. And we kind of go in that direction. And that's it, really. It's an interesting question. I mean, going back to the Amorahid video just for a second, though, I mean, mm. I think that a lot of the feedback to, that was given to me and by friends and what have you is that it did an incredible job of representing all of Wales, whether that be Welsh-speaking, English-speaking, yeah. North, south absolutely uh whatever political tradition you come from but it uh, one thing it it you know it, it had it featured campaigns from Cymdaith Asiriaeth it, mm. it had you know Ron Davis's 
It's, it's a very good morning in Wales. Uh, images from the miners' strike. But there's a lot of people who've said for forever that you shouldn't mix sport and politics. And obviously the FAW seems to kind of disagree with that. But I am interested not only in that, but whether you are taking the lead on that from your fans in a Wolgach or whether you're trying to lead them in a particular direction. Well, I certainly hope it's not political. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be cultural and historical, to be fair. Um, so these are, you know, um, things that happen. Garrett did score against Ukraine, by the way. He did score against Austria. So we showed that as fact. Um, and things like, for example, devolution and all the things that were there, they happened. You know, you know, everyone's views. I mean, the world is, is very polarized and all that kind of stuff at the moment. We are definitely not a political organization of any sort or anything like that. We represent all of Cymru. We represent um, a very broad church of people, which football always must do. Um, and I think that we try to represent the country in as honest way that we can of what people are really thinking, not kind of shiny, shiny diamonds that aren't there. You know, this is raw past, um, a happy in many ways, many happy communities, many great communities. But we don't try to to sugarcoat anything. That's what happened. Uh, and that's we try to just represent what happened but also to demonstrate that uh, really good things have happened and really, really good things will happen in the future and that we have a very bright, uh, broad future ahead of us representing everybody uh, across Cymru to the world and within the country. So, yeah, I, I think um, it's really important that we keep building our brand, but in a way that's inclusive. And I really mean that inclusive for everybody, that everyone should feel part of Welsh football going forward. We shouldn't exclude nobody. And if anybody ever in anything that we do feels excluded from that, that that's, that's sad for us because that's not how we want it to be. We want equality, diversity and inclusion to be at the heart of what we do. And if we're not doing that, we're happy to hear that and we're happy to re reflect that in the future going forward. So, yeah, look, we, we make decisions. We go along thinking we're doing the right thing for the country and for the people that we represent, uh, which is the whole country, I hope. And I really hope that uh, we can continue to evolve that mood and that vibe to represent everybody. Oh, and I, and I don't disagree, no. It wasn't saying it was just sort of political with a large piece of charge. No. It's more about, like you say, cultural history, things that have happened. Yeah, they are... it's cult cultural, I would say. Um, and as I say, it's trying to uh, reflect a true Cymru that, um, that is evolving and is, is on a journey uh, and is, is improving from what I can see all the time and everything I'm seeing. Well, I mean, it's fascinating uh, to hear you, you know, you use Cymru all the time and we've heard a lot in, in recent times how it's pretty much exclusively called Cymru within the organisation. But we've seen a lot recently also about the potential proposals to formally change the name of the team from Wales to Cymru. When did this idea first come to you and how far do you think we are away from that potentially happening? No, I, I think with that, it was, um, we call ourselves Cymru here, as I know to the rugby team, by the way, here, I see um, call themselves Cymru here as well. You know, it's, it's used, it's very popular, used here. And I suppose all that would happen is that people would say, look, you know, when we go abroad, you know, could we look at, instead of WAL, could it be COAM now? I personally have no view on it, personally. You know, I'm quite relaxed about it as everyone else is here. It's just the discussion. I mean, it's a debate that you would have. And the answer could be, no, we keep it as it is. It's absolutely fine. Or it could be, do you know what? You know, we want to highlight the fact that we have a particular culture and that we have a language that's going through Renaissance um, and that it might be more, you know, might be a more fitting um, meaning to the country. You know, obviously, when you translate uh, what the words mean, they're quite different. Um, and again, to be like, this is where I have to kind of step back from it. Um, you know, I listen to, to ideas and people and things and, and what they want to do, but it's very much up to the people. I mean, we're a democracy where people get a chance to give feedback. There's no um, particular time limits or anything like that. We just evolve as an organization in line with what people want us to do. So if, you know, a lot of people want us to be called Wales internationally, if that's a more recognized brand, absolutely no problem. Uh, fantastic. Um, and if more people think that there's an evolution where we want to highlight our culture more and more, and we're interested in using Cymru internationally, then let's have the debate, really. And, and if that's what's something that's interesting for people, you know, if they want to do that, then maybe we consider doing it. Because if you want to do that, I mean, as we know, other countries have done it, we wouldn't be the first to do it. You know, that would be a process that isn't particularly hard because you just sit down with FIFA and UEFA and say, look, when we're playing abroad, can you put up CYM instead of 
uh, WL and can we change, you know, when we're at the Congress, can we sit beside the Cypriots instead of uh, the Ukrainians down the back of the room type thing? You know, that's just the, the stuff that is, is, is practical. Then there's a whole, you know, communications piece around that if you do that. But I have to say that um, it's only just something that gets chatted around about, you know, we call ourselves that here. I don't, you know, it's not that big a deal for us calling ourselves Cymru uh, in Cymru. But then, you know, it's just abroad, should we consider using it more? I mean, there might be a lovely hybrid way of doing it. You know, there might be a way that on our, I don't know, on our tracksuits and on our imagery that we have commonly on our jerseys, for example, but the internationally that we call Wales, I don't know. Um, but there's a bit more work needed in that. There's more research needed in that. There's more discussion needed on that and quite a bit more. But I have to be also frank and say it's not a priority for us. Um, you know, we have a lot more pressing issues to deal with um, like we'll go to this World Cup as Wales, we'll be loved as Wales, and we'll win as Wales, and we'll be successful as Wales. So it's no problem for us whatsoever, of course. Um, and we're looking forward to going out there as Wales. Um, but, you know, here, as you know, we've made that lovely evolution where, you know, we call ourselves quite normally Cymru, uh, but obviously people call us Wales here. And it's no problem for anybody. It's only a problem for people who want to make it a problem. Uh, for us, it really is not a problem. We're Wales, we're Cymru, um, we're beautiful. I think one of the things we, we forget when we're having this debate that a lot of the a lot of the world has different names for Wales anyway. And I, I do still love Pay the Gal and Gals yeah. and things like that. You know, it's just a British, I think it's a British perception of how the rest of the world look at you. So good luck with that, Neil. Um no, sorry, I did that in I did that in our practice script as well. Sorry. It's, about o- that. it's okay, Charles, don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, one of the one of the things we're talking about the international game, uh, Noel, but you know, the heartbeat of sport, all sport for me, is the grassroots side of it. And you know, that goes into the Welsh Domestic League, which I think in recent years, you know, you've used the term branding and the Welsh Domestic League has come on leaps and bounds, uh, loops and bounds in branding and its coverage. You know, what do you think the health of you know that part of the game which you're responsible for is in Wales? I think we have a very long way to go, uh, to be frank. We're doing an independent review on the Cymru Premier Division right now. We're meeting all the clubs, we're meeting all the stakeholders, supporters, uh, broadcasters, sponsors, um, you name it, we're meeting them. And then we hope to, we will have a meeting in December with the clubs to bring forward some proposals. And I think what you'll see is that next year, um, we'll agree a whole new strategy for the Cymru Premier We've done, like recent years, there has been a reconfiguration of the pyramid, for example, here in the country of how the game is played, which much of it has worked and some hasn't. But with the Cymru Premier, we have a long way to go to reach its full potential. So I think we're going to invest more in it. Well, sorry, I know we're going to invest more in it. And we just need to figure out what we invest in to move it forward. I mean, the facts are we're, you know, 50 odd in the world, or sorry, in Europe, in our coefficients, whereas there's countries around us that are well ahead of us. Now, we've got a peculiar set up obviously because our top teams play in the English system so if you took I don't know Celtic Rangers and a few more out of Scotland their league would be a very different look uh, probably to what it is today if you took the top teams out of Ireland for example they look very different to what it is today the facts are that because of our geography there's just a bridge uh, there um, that you you know you're there and we've got a huge advantage by the way in Welsh football because I know even at the weekend we had like I don't know like Aston Villa and Leicester City sending their academies down to play against Cardiff and Swansea because they're playing in that system. And that means that a kid growing up in anywhere across Cymru can get access really easily to play against the best academies in the world. That is a huge advantage to us. But with the domestic competitions, that obviously affects us because if we had Cardiff, Swansea, uh, Newport, Wrexham, and so on and so forth playing in our own league, then it would be a much bigger league, I suppose. Um, but that ship has long sailed. And I think that we've got to make the most of what we have. And I think that we have to build up our clubs professionally, but on and off the pitch. We have to build better infrastructure and we have to make sure that our objectives are clear. Is it to produce players for Wales? Maybe not for a few years, but certainly young players could come through the system. I've seen other countries where players have developed late through a system. So we've got to be a home for players that come through and want to be professional footballers. We want to be a country that gets into the Europa Conference League group stage, for example, which we haven't done yet. We want to be a country that um, 
offers you know good family fun and good supporter experiences as well locally you know that we have fan tribes and all that kind of stuff locally derby matches that excite and delight people all that stuff so we've got a good distance to go there but i say the review is ongoing and once we get the feedback back from jeff wilson who's leading the he's a very experienced person who's worked with fifa and uefa all over the world he's going to come with the feedback pretty soon and then we look to implement that yeah no local derbies hey st mary's against target town suggest you take that up <laughs> the mid wales no my, my last question is i think um, around an area which I think has been incredibly successful by the FAW in recent years, and that's the women's team and the growth yeah. in female participation in football. I think that's going from strength to strength. I just really want to know, you know, just thinking back on the recent qualification campaign, it, it, it's such a shame they didn't make it to the, the last hurdle. But where do you see the women's game in Wales going in the future? Oh, it's an explosive uh, growth in the women's game, definitely. If we can get the facilities right, which we are investing quite heavily in now, and we get our structures right, I think you're going to see women's football. So I know you're going to see women's football absolutely, you know, multiply time after time now because the interest from girls to play football is huge. Our national teams at all levels are doing pretty well. Uh, Jim has done a terrific job with the national senior team. But I think that the youth national teams are also coming up with very good results as well which is great. But then, I mean, locally, we're seeing uh, stronger domestic championships um, as well. I believe, for example, Cardiff City, who do play in our system, they're going to have a record crowd in Cardiff City Stadium in the next few nights against Aberkevenny. Um, so right around us, and we've seen a record crowd in Swansea already, we've seen our national team get 15,200 people for a game against Bosnia, uh, which is a pretty huge um, result for us, and 12,500 before that. So the growth is not 10% or double-digit growth, as they say. It's 1,000% growth we're seeing in our attendances, you know. To go from 4,000 or 3,000 the year before to 15,000 is incredible. But what we are seeing is a lot of schools and clubs contacting us to ask about getting into more and more girls' football. We have programmes like Disney Playmakers, which is using cartoon characters from Disney to attract young girls to play football. We've got Huddle, which is a big program for us. We've got over 60 centres across the country where the best young girls can come together and play football uh, with proper coaching and all that kind of stuff. But what you're seeing is the club system really start to drive forward. Uh, You're seeing girls seeing football, being a professional footballer is a credible career for them now, which has not been possible heretofore. So um, I think you'll just see massive growth. I think we'll qualify for your 25 uh, and that'll be a catalyst to even more growth for women's football here. And soon you're going to see a much more balanced association in terms of, you know, whether it's a female international or a male international, it doesn't matter. People will just go to both naturally. Um, and that's where we need to get to, you know. So we've got a full Cardiff City Stadium or a full race course ground wherever we play. Um, it's just full, whether it's the women's or the men's team. And we're heading in that direction pretty quickly. We're bringing, we're investing a lot. We've just brought in a girl called Gemma Lewis to lead in our player pathways, for example. We're bringing in more and more people into the women's games in strength and conditioning, psychology, the technical analysis side to make sure uh, that we're improving the game, not just at the national level, but at the elite level across the game. And then at grassroots, as I say, once we can produce the millions of pounds of facilities that are required to have facilities that are attractive for young girls to play in, which we don't currently have, but once we keep building them, we'll get much more, many more girls playing football. And what you'll see then is just sustained growth of the game so that we end up hopefully one day we're sitting on this podcast and there's as many girls playing football and going to football as our boys right now no it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you we've got one more question before you go so the welsh fans you know the walkoch the wales away gang have been described and become internationally known as some of the best and most popular fans in in world football uh, especially when they travel uh, what in your view makes them so special and do you have a message for those that are traveling to Qatar yeah I mean for me they're just so well behaved and they're so fun and they're just so uh, fantastic in their humor and their singing and you name it I think the fashion is great by the way I think there's a competition uh, some sort of Zoolander competition going on to see who's got the coolest gear on uh, is definitely going on away. I can see it in the retro shirts and I can see it in the 
Adidas retro I keep coming across, whereas you guys have got a bit more, um, a bit more uh, contemporary, I suppose. Um, even though your own one, Kerry, I suppose, is starting to become a retro jersey of that special summer down in France. Um, hopefully we'll be looking at Matt's jersey in a few years' time to talk about that special winter over in the Middle East. I have somewhere, I don't quite know where, but I do have somewhere, the one of the greatest third kits of all time, which is the Kappa yellow and blue Wales uh, third kit from, I think, the early 2000s. Now that, that is a retro kit you don't see very often. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> and and I, I have a non-fitting early 90s white shirt with the little speckled uh, green and red triangles on the top. Oh, the best shirt Wales. That's the one that Wrexham have. Well, actually, the way... Yeah, it's, it's a similar... Now, yeah, it is. It's that one. we have now, the way one now is a kind of nod towards that, surely. Um, that's, that links us now to them um, with the collar and with just behind the, the sleeve. So, you know, what I will say is that the kits have been wildly popular, the uh, new ones that have come out. I mean, the one you're wearing yourself, um, it's just massive, the demand for them. In fact, the ma- demand is so massive that they were finding it hard to get them in uh, before the World Cup, unfortunately. I know there's fans who'd love to buy the new jerseys and we just don't have them exact size because we qualified, obviously, in June. A kit takes normally about nine months to make and to get onto the shelves. So we're struggling a bit with some of the sizes um, before the tournament, but hopefully that will be solved um, pretty soon and that you know, people can get the jerseys they want. Oh, like I said, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Pobloch and Qatar, um, to you and to the team. But again, thank you so much for coming to speak to me. Welcome, Paul. I'll see you very soon. And hopefully that we have a, a great tournament and you enjoyed very much. Oh, see you guys. Obviously, when your country comes calling, it is a big task, but that's why you're in football. That's why uh, we all love it, because uh, if it was easy, then um, everyone would be doing it. But uh, I'm just thankful I've got the opportunity to, to come and try and uh, make the world successful. And it's an opportunity that I'm really looking forward to. I think we need to um, consistently compete on, on a world stage, not just uh, coming close to qualifying every now and again, every 12, 15 years. As a player, I've been... Uh, part of campaigns where we, we've just missed out, but uh, in between those campaigns there's been gaps of 8 to 10 years and it, it's my job to make sure that this country develops in a way where we can we can consistently compete on a, on a world stage. Part of my job, which I'm really looking forward to, is the group of players that we've got and they're of an age where we can be together for a long time and improve and grow as a team for a long time. Um, and like I say, I'm looking forward to that challenge to putting things in place so we can try and be successful with those players. And it's amazing how quick you learn in this game. You know, I've never been in the game for money. I, I, I'm in the game because I enjoy it and love what I do. And it's, it's, it's no different now. I'm a, I'm a manager instead of a player. So money was never the motivation for me to leave Sheffield or to join Wales. Like I say, it's a challenge and we're in this game for challenges and uh, I'm really up for the challenge and I'm going to give it 100%. It's one that I think is a possibility. It's, it's a, in my view, it's a probability with the players we've got here. I'm really looking forward to working with them and uh, hopefully, like I say, you know, raise the profile of Welsh football. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today, please don't forget to find us on Twitter and Facebook at Pod, or on our website www.walespolitics.com. And thank you so much for supporting us with your ears, but if you would like to do so with your wallets too, please don't forget to find us at www.patreon.com forward slash here I pod.